0: Welcome to the Business with Bordeaux podcast, where we're bringing basic business tips to entrepreneurs and the future leaders of tomorrow. Let's get down to business. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Business with Bordeaux podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the show. Uh, I want to welcome all the new listeners if this is your first time. I hope you enjoy this episode. This week on the show, I do have Mr. Derek Hoyam from Jam the Hype. I think I said that right. Uh, I always have an issue with names whenever they're not just basic and easy. But uh, anyway, Mr. Um, Derek Hoyam from Jam the Hive also had a Save the City Records. He's got a lot of experience in different areas of business and entrepreneurship. Uh, he's got a ton of things. You could check out his website, derrickhoyam.com and rainonmeproductions.com, uh, just to see kind of his full scope of areas of work that he's been in. And so we kind of dive into a lot of different things in this episode. Uh, we go into, you know, kind of his history and how he worked for Microsoft and what he learned there, how he transitioned into becoming an investor in artists' careers and seeing artists get signed by bigger labels and stuff. And so, you know, his journey uh, will be able to help many folks out there. And, you know, one thing I wanted to dive into more, and honestly, we didn't have enough time to do it, but uh, I want to get him back on the show, but. You know, just the investment aspect, like being able to invest in other people and, you know, not just receiving investments, because it's always great to be a blessing to others. And uh, he does talk about that a little bit. I asked him, you know, what does that investment look like? What does the ownership look like? And how do you get repaid and all that kind of stuff? So it was a really great, fun interview. But before we jump into it, though, a couple of things that I do want to mention. Uh, whenever I started recording this episode, the headphones that I had plugged in that I was using to you know listen back to uh to what was going on on the show I was using my microphone on my headset for like the first 10 minutes so just beware uh the the audio does change just a tad bit on my end but that's the reason why in case anybody wonders wasn't sure whether to include that in the intro or not but I decided to do it anyway just in case there were some new listeners. So anyway, just be aware of that. I do want you to check out uh, the patrons for the show, Mr. Aaron Simpkins at truestrengthapparel.com. Make sure you go to the website and get some uh, really cool shirts from him. Also, Mr. Prophet Josiah. Uh, he actually has an EP that is available on uh, all the streaming services. So make sure you go check that out and you can look him up at prophetjosiah.com. That's P-R-A-F-I-T, josiah.com. Mr. Lt Smith, uh, you can check out some of his music on YouTube. I appreciate all the people who support the show financially uh, through Patreon. If you want to support the show that way you can, just head over to businesswithporto.com and you can figure out how to do that. Check out all my blog postings and some relevant small business news that may interest you. So um, anyway, without further ado, we'll go ahead and jump into the interview this week with uh, the owner of Jam the Hype, Mr. Derek Coyle. Alrighty, welcome back to another interview here on the Business with the Bordeaux podcast. Uh, this week on the show, I have somebody who's had his hands in a lot of different areas, who has learned a lot of lessons throughout his uh, professional life. More uh, probably for this audience, probably a more known uh, venture that he has is Jam the Hype. And then he also had a record label, Save the City Records. And so I have with me this week, Mr. Derek Hoyum. Was that correct? That is correct. That is. I exactly said it correct. right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I've been a few times where I've butchered names up here, <laughs> and uh, so I always try to make sure I kind of get that right. But uh, but I'm glad you, uh, you're able to be on the show this week. Yeah, thanks a bunch. And uh, and I appreciate you taking the time. I know you have a lot of stuff that you're involved in. Uh You've helped out a lot with, with Track Stars, and uh, Sean Grant speaks very highly of you. Says you're a great guy, and uh, and I love having great people on the show. Oh,
1: and, thank uh, you. So, it's a, it's just great, great to be part of this with you guys.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, again, I really appreciate it. And uh, so, you know, I don't know if a lot of people know uh, the man behind the the man behind Jam the Hype. Um, you know, there's some people who are more well known. That run companies, like people know Sean and Ryan because they're on the radio show. Don't know if people know Derek Hoyum that much. Right. Um, so, man, I would love for people just to get to know a little bit more about you, uh, a little more of your story, uh, kind of how you got started in the entrepreneurial realm and uh, why you jumped into it.
1: Yeah. So, I, you know, I came straight out of college and into a little known company across the freeway called Microsoft. Uh, in the late 80s <laughs> and it was not widely known at the time i mean um, and you know bill gates's uh, uh slogan at that time was a computer on every desk and in every home and uh that was that was a pipe dream uh back then and that nobody would think would really ever come true and then kind of we saw the pc explosion in the early 90s and then Um, and then on the mobile explosion here in the in the 2000s and so it was cool to be kind of part of that and see it you know uh right from the inside um at Microsoft and when I started there you know you could walk down the halls and run into Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer and I got to hang out with them at different Microsoft parties and things like that um so yeah so I I did that and I uh basically had contributed to a bunch of different products there, namely, um, visual studio, which is the high end web development suite from Microsoft. So I designed a lot of the user experience for that. Um, and then I also actually did a lot of the, a lot of the user research that led to the start button in windows. And so I have a whole podcast episode that I just did on that. Um, and so you can go to my website and, and check that out on DerekHoyam.com. And, uh, so, yeah, so basically in the late uh, 90s, I was going to church and I was just having this uh, kind of uh, personal revival in, in my life, just kind of reconnecting with God. And, and, uh, and I really felt like I wanted to do something that was uh, more ministry oriented and giving back. So, I prayed about it, and I just my wife and I just felt like, "Hey, you know what why let's just why don't we just do it and so I left my job and i uh, I started working at my church part time kind of as an administrative pastor and then, while I was there, I was just meeting all these creative people from around um Seattle, which is where I'm based and through that process, I was like, how come you don't hear these people on our local radio station? How how does this happen? Like, you know, you're meeting all these, you know, just creative, amazingly creative people. And yeah. uh, so it set me on essentially now a 15-year journey <laughs> uh, to find out why that, that happens. And now I definitely know the answer to that question, which maybe we can talk about. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so I started – so basically I got intentional, more intentional in 2003, started my company, which is called Rain On Me Productions. Um, so yeah, so I've been in business for 15 years. Um, and uh, yeah, so ever since I started, I basically been funding careers for uh, creatives, and, and then helping them get seen and known. And um, so yeah, that's what I've been doing all these years. So uh, so my company is like kind of like a parent company, and then through that, I've launched different brands and trademarks and things like that.
0: Right. So it's Rain Me Production, the parent company. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Now at Microsoft, what did you uh, were you doing? Like coding? What What was your job there? Like your yeah, actual? Yeah. So
1: I had a, I had a couple of different roles. So I I helped start the what they would call now the user research department at Microsoft. Uh, which is basically like the psychology department,
0: <laughs> and gotcha. so
1: it was our job to sit people down with the products and say find out like why is this hard to use or why is this easy to use and like like really scientifically look at like what's going on like in human perception, why is that kind of thing and uh and then so that led to me actually so doing that for about I did that for about six years. And then for the remainder of my six years, then I was also uh, designing the products. So I was I jumped from kind of more the research side to actually running projects and and designing the software. Uh, so I would do some coding, like I can code. I, I I'm not like some star coder. <laughs> it's not something. Uh, it's not something I absolutely love, but at the same time I can do it, and so I do it for select uh, projects and things that I work on and I help various nonprofits like do their apps and things. So, um, uh, that's how I use those skills now.
0: Okay. Okay. Now with, um, man, just fleeing my thought. So whenever you were working at Microsoft and you were doing the, um, like the research for the mm-hmm. user experience, mm-hmm. uh, was that important? Uh, like what was that well, I know that's usually important for like marketing teams because you know what goes through people's heads and minds. Did the the information and the things that you learned doing that, was that something that helped you later on down the road in your career?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it really touches on everything and it's such a, a key part of how you make products today. I mean, I think my favorite product to kind of look at, and I remember when I had my first experience uh, with Airbnb. Uh, Absolutely blew my mind because like I had never used Airbnb before. I just thought, Hey, I heard about this. My wife and I, we were going on an anniversary trip to Hawaii. So I thought I'm going to install the app and check, check it out. So I, I install it, you know, log in. And so just put in, you know, Kona, Hawaii or whatever. And then, so I'm shopping, you know, I'm just breezing through different (laughs) rental properties and stuff, and I'm like, wow, this is really slick. This is amazing. And then like, you you know, you could say, hey, inquire about this property on rates or, you know, check-in times or whatever. And like, it would message the owner, you'd hear right back from the owner, like, and then every step of the way. And then once I chose a property, then it kind of knew like, oh yeah, okay. Well, now we're gonna walk you through the checkout process. And then we're gonna introduce you to the owner, and then you know, then we're gonna tell you where the keys are, and like <laughs> it almost like read my mind of exactly what I wanted to do through the whole process, and I was like, this is just so fantastic, and they really thought it through, and yet the same at the same time, the app is beautiful, it's simple, it's not confusing. Uh, they just did a stellar job on it, and and like behind the scenes. Airbnb is not simple. I mean, they've got server farms, and, you know, whatever, you know, all running the show. And so there's a lot of magic that happens um, on a product like Airbnb. But because their design team really knocked it out of the park, you would never know. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I've never used it myself, but I've used, uh, I've I've kind of heard about other other people using it. And kind of the same experience you had, and you know, b- being able to know what's a person's problem, and mm-hmm. how to fix that problem—that's that's every company right there,
1: right. fixing exactly. people's problems. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so anyway, so kind of going back, getting back on track. So you left Microsoft. Now, uh, when you left Microsoft, you said you went to part-time administrative pastor. What mm-hmm. were what, what was kind of the first? Uh, the first other ventures that you jumped into? Because I know you, you said you had a lot of stuff going on. And yeah. I can imagine going from Microsoft to a part-time administrative pastor was a yeah. pretty big pay cut, right? <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, okay. I essentially just got healthcare, care, I think, through the church. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah.
0: So um, after you went and did that, what was the first thing you kind of jumped into in the creative realm?
1: Yeah, well, I actually had gone on a trip with a friend of mine. Um to Winnipeg, Canada, where Vineyard Music was recording a new worship album with a worship leader leader named Rita Springer. And um, and then there was also a Vineyard songwriter named David Ruiz, and he's written a lot of uh, worship songs that you may know. And uh, anyway, so I just got invited to go hang out in the studio. I'd literally never been in a recording studio before. And when I was on that trip, I uh, I just kind of saw these like things that all these like light bulbs were going off for me. Like um, I I kind of figured out like, wait, you know, like if I want to kind of, you know, give back, I guess, to, to the world. And, um, and I, I saw that the, the language of our, of the culture today is really books, movies, music, and apps. And, and I was like, Hey, we need to actually speak that language and we need to really speak it well. And, uh, so that's when I, I really was like, oh, wow, music is something, um, I can do and I'm familiar with, cause I had played, I played drums. That's been my main instrument since I was like 12 years old. And, uh, and so I thought, you know what, let me, let me pursue this music thing and I can do this. Right. Mm -hmm. That's cool. That's cool. So drums, man, uh, have you always played drums? Pretty much, yeah, since since I was twelve. Actually even before that, because I had like paper drum kits when I was like five years old. And then I got my <laughs> first I got my first real drum kit when I was twelve.
0: Cool, cool deal. Yeah. So when did you start uh Random production? What was the process of starting that uh company?
1: Yeah, so when I realized that I just wanted to help creatives and I knew that um music was one of the, you know, folk, you know, folk, folk, I guess you would call it that I wanted to, uh, address. Uh, I, I just said, all right, look, I'm going to start this. I don't even really know what we're going to be doing. I, I had this kind of inkling that we might do concert promotion or, you know, just helping artists in different ways. So, so that's why I named it something kind of generic, <laughs> not like right, right. You know, something records. And so, yeah. And, um, So yeah, so I started in 2003 and I literally had known nothing about entrepreneurship or starting a company. So I spent hours and hours and hours like researching that. And uh, yeah. And so now I actually get to teach this. Uh, I get to teach kind of entrepreneurship at a local university here in Seattle called Northwest University. And so I teach music business. So I get to take all that, those hard knocks and, and teach them now. So um, yeah, right. so in my early days, basically just started the company in January of 2003 and then started funding different um, uh, talented people from churches around the Seattle area.
0: That's cool. So,
1: you know, I, I
0: know a lot of people, you know, they take those experiences and they end up teaching them to others. And that's how a lot of, you know, a lot of different teachers uh, outside of the traditional schooling system do that Mm -hmm. and so that's awesome now what was one of the hardest things in starting the company that that you ran into
1: well you want to talk about starting the company or just like in the company in general (laughs) well i mean like this the
0: startup process what was the you know kind of the the tougher parts of getting it started
1: yeah well i think there's two things one is just the mechanics of like uh like the state regulatory thing like what order do you do things in you know and like Okay, you have a name for your your company, but like, how do you start one? What do you What do you do? You know, so I had to decide first on a business structure. So for most most uh, individuals, that's either going to be an LLC, uh, what they call an S corp, um, or a sole proprietorship. So you have to decide through one of those three things. Like, okay, which one? And then you have to file paperwork with the. At least in the United States, you have to file paperwork with the state that you're in to get a business license. And then, once you have your business license, then you can actually go down to your local bank and open up a business bank account. So, like just that like just figuring that out like back right. you know when I, back in two thousand and three, like you know, the web wasn't as rich as it was today. And so, uh that was just a ton of work figuring figuring that out and this is also pre youtube so i started like teaching myself <laughs> i started teaching myself recording engineering you know it's not like now where you can say how do i quantize drum in ableton you know drums in ableton live you know and you f- look it up on youtube and in 5 minutes you know how to do it like right. back then i mean like literally i'm like staring at a computer screen and a big mixing board and you know and a book um and three weeks later <laughs> you might know how what, to is do yeah. <laughs> what is a book
0: yeah what is <laughs> a book that's hilarious i know today it's so easy just to find answers for things you know google and youtube university yeah uh is that's that's you know that's college now that's, that's everybody's college yeah and um so after you did that what was the um you said you had invested in some artists who were some yeah. of the first people that you found and invested? Yeah,
1: in? it mainly was like local worship leaders. Um, there were um, uh, a couple people. Yeah, just at different churches here in Seattle. You wouldn't know them. Um, like one was a really well. She was kind of like a, a well-known studio vocalist here in the Seattle area, and so she would sing big solos at Christmas time at the biggest, you know, church here in the Seattle area. And so, I funded her Christmas record. Um and recorded all of it, mixed it and uh, and then released it and helped with the marketing on that. And so and actually through that process, uh I really got to see kind of end to end like what it meant to be a record label. And I didn't even really know what record labels did. I was just do I was just doing stuff, you know? <laughs> and uh and then- that seemed like a
0: good idea. Let's just do it. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Uh, Yeah, let's make a Christmas album. Oh, how do you do this? Oh, plug in a microphone. Okay, yeah, let's do that, you know. And um, so then through that process, actually, in marketing her record, I um, uh, got to know a guy in Seattle. His name is Steve Lawson. Well, Steve Lawson uh, was business partners with Heart, the rock band Heart. And Steve Lawson had created this charity uh, in Seattle. It's called Christmas in the Northwest. And he was collecting like essentially Christmas music from different Seattle musicians. He'd release a CD and he'd have a like a television show, almost like a little telethon thing uh, where musicians would perform. And then they would raise money for children's hospitals uh, in the northwest area in the United States. And anyway, so I pitched uh, the album to Steve Lawson. And he loved it. And we ended up uh, being the radio signal. uh, I think it was back in like 2004, 2005. Um, So, our, you know, our, one of our songs was getting played on all the FM stations all around uh, Seattle, Vancouver, British Columbia, Portland, Spokane, Idaho. And uh, so that was pretty cool. So, that was kind of my first foray into like having a little bit of success of like hearing yourself on the radio and things like that. Um, right, right. And then, yeah, and then it opened my eyes to kind of just the bigger world of of entertainment. And then, what happened was after that, <laughs> I ended up getting contacted by um, a pastor in Texas who said, "Hey, I met this guy. His name is Kevin Thornton. He was in the '90s uh, boy band super group called Color Me Bad," and he's oh, like, wow. "Yeah," and he's like, "They're looking for uh, a place to uh, make." Um, a a gospel album and some of them had uh they had left sony music they had a they had sold like 20 or 30 million albums with with sony um and uh, so the the band had broken up in the late 90s and so some of them were just like hey let's let's just make like a gospel record and so i ended up working with several of those guys got to know all the guys in color me bad the band leader um who also was friends with uh oh um I'm trying to remember the the bass. He's he's a funk bass player. I'm trying to remember his name. I'll think of it in a moment. Um, and, uh, oh, Bootsy Collins. Yeah, Bootsy Collins, who's, like, played bass for Madonna and Lenny Kravitz. I mean, it just goes on and on. Right, right. Anyway, so it's just opening this whole world to me. Um, and so it was great. So, like, right here in the studio that you see behind me, yeah, I recorded Calling Me Bad here. And uh, so I ended up releasing a gospel record for Kevin Thornton from Calling Me Bad back in 2005 and uh so back and then then back to steve lawson so he came back to me in the following years and said hey derek i'd love to get more christmas music from you and there's a a christian singer named stacy Rico. do you know her i was like yeah i do actually my wife's in a bible study with her with her aunt (laughs) oh wow wow um So yeah, so I uh, I got Stacy Arico to sing um, uh, on the Christmas in the Northwest album uh, with a young artist uh, I was developing at the time named Alan Stone, and Alan Stone um, ended up being on Capitol Records. uh, Just he got signed a few years ago, and so he's been he's been huge and and touring literally the world and and doing stuff all over the place, and so. Anyway, so yeah, so those are just some examples of of things I've been involved with in funding.
0: Right now, so question: When it comes to investing and things like that, obviously investors have a certain percentage of ownership. Yeah. So, how did that work in in you know, contractual agreements with artists? Uh, and after you know the, the the latter gentleman signed to Capital. Are you still an investor in his career, or did anything like that change?
1: No, yeah. So with everybody, it's different. Um, I did kind of settle on uh, uh, a, a kind of a deal, I, I guess you'd say. And and I and I teach this to my music business students. Like to me, a, a fair independent record deal would be um, basically advancing money. So it could be like to, in today's world. I mean, you could spend twenty, thirty thousand dollars to make a good record. Like you can make a really great record, put a little bit of marketing money behind it. Um, and so somebody's gotta put that money up, you know? And so I would basically do that. And uh, so then, uh, so it's like a, a a loan, and then I would just agree with the artist that it's what they call an all-in equipment. So all the money coming from the album, um, you know, whether that's downloads, CDs, streaming sales, whatever, would all go back in. Uh, to repay that, that, that debt, you know that quote debt, and, so, um, and then once we hit a break even point, then I would split that, that uh, profit fifty50 with the artist. So to me, that, that is uh, a fair, a fair record deal, Right. where it 's right. like I 'm putting up the money, and then I get to keep once we 've recouped, then I get half, the artist gets half. And uh, and it's interesting because the movie business works almost the same way. Same with the book publishing business. It's a lot of this. It's a lot of the same math. Um, Major record label deals like now, they'll do things like, okay, we'll just we'll just put up all the money for your project and we'll pay you 12 percent of just everything that you earn starting from day one. So they don't even really worry about recoupment. Because uh, for a major label, they can kind of know like, hey, if we just get two movie placements for this music, then we've basically paid for the album. And they have, (laughs) you know, like if you're Disney or if you're Sony Music or something, you own a TV, you know, you own a TV network, you own theme parks, you own. So it's basically guaranteed, like with a new artist, that you're going to get that money back. Whereas if as an independent record label owner, you have no infrastructure, you know, like you have. You and a Spotify account, <laughs> at least now. <laughs> um, so that so that recoupment process is really really hard, and it was interesting because I remember hearing George Lucas talk on one of the um, the DV, you know bonus features on DVDs from Star Wars, and he was like, ninety eight percent of major motion pictures never recoup, um, and uh, that was very interesting to hear that like the, you think music is bad, movies is ten times worse um because there's just so much more capital that needs to go out to make uh to make a film right right unless you're marvel and then you definitely yeah right get some money back which yeah. is which is <laughs> disney which is basically disney putting up that you know and they're a publicly traded you know yep. multi-billion dollar company so uh yeah
0: they have power like that they have yeah. power like mm-hmm. that so um so that's so with uh after the, you get the recruitment. So was that 50, 50, is that just like, uh, music sales or is that including like merch and all that stuff?
1: No, I would just, well, at the time I was just doing um, music sales and that was a fair deal. And, um, right. we were talking off air just before we started doing the interview here. So in basically in fall of 2013 is when Spotify came ashore in the U S and Everything in the music industry changed when that day happened. So, you know, we were doing really well with download sales, CD sales, and everything like that. Um, We had a nice kind of upward trend on our income chart, and I had 13 employees. Um, And then within 18 months of uh, that, with Spotify hitting, uh, we had basically taken over a 90% revenue uh, cut. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, so it, it was bad. It was really bad. Like Spotify. I mean, it's, what's weird is that is Spotify the future of music? Absolutely. Uh, is it what, you know, we've been in this weird kind of trench or dip period between, you know, the downloads and CDs dropping off and Spotify ramping up. So from, fall of 2013 even till now i'd say we're still going through the transition uh yeah uh like i think now like the numbers like when you look at like apple music and spotify in particular you know you're up upwards of like 250 million or 300 million people now on the streaming platforms uh which you know when spotify came ashore it was zero (laughs) so like a few short years you know Uh, It's been ramping up. But the weird thing is like for my record company, uh, we got caught in the middle of those cross currents. And so I had to let my staff of 13 people go. Um, And so it just wasn't pretty. So I'm in the kind of process of rebooting and kind of deciding like, okay, do I restart the record label? I've kind of been just doing some artist management, um, which is easier to do because you can just be one person and then just like, helping select artists so I can take my knowledge and and more invest in artists that way.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I know whenever um I feel like Netflix uh was kind of the catalyst for most companies into their subscription streaming unlimited amounts, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And um you know I was talking to somebody the other day and even uh Nobody buys physical anything anymore. Right. hardly ever. Right, and so and now with iTunes, they're just talking about like just getting rid of the uh, the, the download right application for the company at all. And it's yep. so, like everybody's like, okay, now we're only going to do streaming. Yes, like that's it.
1: Well, that's and it. it's super convenient for record companies and movie studios. Any you know anybody who owns intellectual property, streaming is kind of a dream because. You have total control over the life of that product. So, you know, you can't, so somebody can't just run off and make copies, right? And then even if you kill the product, there's still copies running around and more copies being made. And so with streaming, it's like, okay, if they want to take a movie down, or, you know, take a record out of print or, you know, whatever, like, or out of print, <laughs> quote. Um, <laughs> they just literally remove it from the streaming server and, like, that's it. It's gone. It's gone, erased from history. Um, so, and, yeah, so from an intellectual property standpoint, it gives companies kind of the ultimate control. Right. Yeah, so whenever you, um, when you let those people go, were those full-time employees? Um, a couple of them were, um, uh, most, most were part-time, like half time. Everybody, wow, I mean, right. it's kind of common in the music industry. Like everybody has their side gig. What I tried to do is actually employ different artists. So like the artists could tour and then they'd be doing graphic design for me or tour and be doing social media or, you know what I mean? So like, not only are they part of the ecosystem as an artist, but then they're also earning money from the company in other ways, you know? And, uh, I, I really liked that model and they liked it too. Cause they're like, Hey, this means I don't have to go to Walmart and take a job or something, you know, and, right, and it right. ties you down. So for, so working for the record label was a great way to kind of balance it. And then you're, earning money as an artist as well as uh, earning money for the label. Yeah.
0: I've heard of a different few artists. Um, Like what up RG was on track stars the other day and, or the other month. Yeah. And, but he was talking about doing that too, like he's full time because he's able to do all the side stuff. Yes, exactly. And, um, yep. and so, you know, that's just, you know, very common. I've talked to several different artists and, you know, obviously their music isn't their only source of income. Right. Uh, if it was, they'd probably be broke because, people just don't buy music anymore right, right. Mm-hmm. and um so going from spotify hitting losing these employees uh one thing we haven't talked about yet that i'd like to jump into and it's probably time frame was uh different uh jam the hype yeah so uh you know i know from way back in the day uh you know like track stars had a good connection with the south.com mm-hmm. and uh and then you know jam the hype what was your um how did you get involved with jam the hype
1: yeah, so uh so as a record label, I needed a radio promoter. And so I that's how I met Chris Chicago, who was one of the main uh independent uh Christian radio promoters in Nashville. And so I hired Chris, in fact, I begged him to come and work for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I think after about 9 months of begging, he finally uh, relented. And so I hired him, I basically hired Chris full-time and um, and then getting to know him. Uh, well, I, I should back up a little bit and say that I I really was more entering into the uh, the the mainstream Christian market. So my plan was to actually have things on mainstream Christian radio. And and I saw that Chris had worked with Natalie Grant. He had worked with um, I don't know bands like Brian K. Red, uh, et cetera. And so I thought, okay, he he might be able to do this for us, you know? And, uh, but as time went on, I realized like that, that problem is a lot harder than you think because you are, and this is when I learned the lesson of what it means to actually now compete against media conglomerates, because you have basically Time Warner, Sony, Universal, um, and then actually Disney, like those are the, those are the biggies. <laughs> and right. uh, Disney's not involved with Christian music um, directly, uh, but the other three are. They'll have uh, divisions in Nashville. And so Sony's is called Provident. Warner's was called Word uh, Records, which is now actually privately owned uh, by Curb Records, it's now a division of Curb Records. And then Universal is Capital Christian Music Group. It's Capital Records and uh so anyway so as you enter the system at least in the christian music system you're going up against publicly traded multi-billion dollar companies and they have almost endless pockets so you know i had my one radio promoter with chris chicago uh, but word records would have eight (laughs) radio promoters you know divvied up into divisions you know so we had one guy who had to be with friends with a bunch of radio stations in the country. Well, they had eight people who would only have to be friends with, you know, a handful of radio stations in the country. So like doing, you know, it's what I call the, uh, doing the land war in Asia. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> it's rough. It is rough, you know? So when Chris Tomlin releases a single, you know, you're going head to head with Chris Tomlin. So, um, Yeah. So it was just learning those lessons. And anyway, so when I got to know Chris, got to know his heart, you know, he had a a radio show called Jam the Hype. And he started it when he was in high school, went through a couple different names. And I said, you know, Chris, uh, urban music is really the future of where at least Christian music is headed. And um, and of course, Reach Records and Lecrae was at the really at the height of his success uh, around that time. And I said, you know, there's really no radio stations for Christian urban music. Like, nobody has, like, a full-on – well, I should say, actually, at the time, there's hot. there was Hot 95.9 in Orlando. Hot 95.9 in Orlando um, was the only, like, 24-7 Christian urban station, but that's just one city. And so I thought, you know what? Why don't we start it? So we, I pulled together an app we pulled together the streaming stuff and, uh, and then launched the jam the hype app. And so that was the first, uh, like real 24 seven, you know, Christian urban station. And we, um, well, I shouldn't say we're first, we were one of them. And, and, uh, through that process, you know, just realizing like, wow, we really do need more outlets for this music right. and we need more media outlets. and, and around that time, too, Apple had just launched Beats 1 Radio, and I was kind of closely watching what Apple was doing because I was thinking, like, okay, if Apple wanted to, wanted to, they certainly had the money to just go up and go up around the country and start buying up F- FM, transmitter, FM transmitters and putting Beats 1 Radio on it. But, right. they, but they didn't do that. You know, and and I was like, OK, well, that means that it's all going to streaming like they're, you know, so terrestrial radio and, you know, to all my friends in in radio, like, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> bye bye. Yeah, bye. I mean, like I, I, I tell people in 10 years, they're going to be turning off the power to FM transmitters. And a lot of people yeah. go, oh, no, you can't say that. No, that's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. Yes, it is. It's barely been 10 years that we've had the iPhone. And look yeah. where that's come. So in 10 years, FM transmitters are being turned off. And so we as like media outlets, or I, I think, and this this gets into some deep territory, <laughs> and I, I might actually do like a YouTube video on this, because <laughs> I feel like the future of radio is going to be what I call mega sites. And these are sites like jamthehype.com or uh, today.com or trackstars.com or, you know, whatever. And there are sites that um, do everything. So you'll have podcasts, you'll have 24-7 radio, you'll have articles, original news, you'll have video, you know, video on YouTube, live streaming, like you have to do it all. And so Huffington Post, Variety Magazine, Entertainment Tonight, like a lot of these sites are doing it already. Um, and I think this is great. I think this is healthy. Um, but I think if you're a radio station and you're banking on your success um, being your radio tower, like you radically got to change your mindset right now. <laughs> right, you, have yeah. to, you have to source original news. You have to go get video content. You have to be producing multiple podcasts. Uh, it's a whole new game. And if you don't get on it, you're dead. Yeah, you got to have so much content
0: out there. Original content.
1: Original. Yeah, original content. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like yeah. You got to hire freelance writers, you know, like the whole nine yards. I think so, that's why Netflix, like I think it was such a smart
0: move for them to start creating their own original content was because they knew, like I have a feeling pretty soon, um, like television production studios will probably start shutting down. Because I feel like, uh, cable services mm-hmm. are going to be going away because people have mm-hmm. HBO on demand or you yeah, know, the app right. or the the streaming service. Right. You know, everybody's going to stream in even Disney and CW and like yeah. all these different companies are all just going straight streaming. So pretty soon, uh, I don't know what TV is going to be used for other than maybe sports. Yeah. and uh, And now you got, you know, Amazon buying or paying NFL to let them stream their Thursday night games and stuff like that. Right. So,
1: Uh, In general, everything is going to mobile and on-demand. Well, and the interesting thing is uh, all the media conglomerates um, also own the distribution. So Comcast, uh, which delivers cable, at least to my home – they own NBC. <laughs> so, so if they turn off NBC on the, you know, on the cable, you know, to your TV through that distribution method, they're just going to turn it on through deals, you know, well, they'll, they'll be launching their own stream. You know, they have their already their own streaming apps and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And Disney's doing that already with, they're about to launch their streaming platform. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah and Time Warner same thing like AT&T and Time Warner that whole merger is in process um AT&T uh, wireless also bought direct tv so now you can get uh, satellite tv on your phone right <laughs> um you know it's crazy it's just craziness what's happening but yeah. I, I think it's it's great i think it's great for the consumer it's going to drive prices down and uh and we have more content than ever
0: yeah true mm-hmm. and i mean with youtube like youtube making so many changes they have their own original content but then free content yeah. i mean it's is interesting to see where the world has changed so much in just 10 years yeah in just 10 years alone it's been the when it comes to media or just everything i mean yeah. media drives society now like the right. way we function as a society and um but yeah so uh so jam to hype um you had mentioned to me off air that y'all had bought the south.com.
1: Yeah. So I was looking at the landscape of kind of what was happening in the Christian urban market. And uh, so we had all the other cylinders firing. And uh, and I was like, you know, on the website, you know, we have some traffic, but it really was meager. And I was like, that's the one area where we really could shore up our game. So um, so we had heard that, um, train nine and, and Z who ran that website were kind of, you know, uh, feeling a little weary <laughs> in running it. So I just called them up and said, Hey man, I heard you guys, you know, are kind of, uh, getting, getting tired and want to maybe move on to other things. Would you be interested in selling it? And they were like, yeah. So, um, so we bought it. Yeah. So we bought it and we merged the sites. And, uh, so that, firmly planted as kind of as number two in the market, which we feel like we kind of, you know, continue to this day. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of how it all, uh, went down.
0: Right. And so where's, where's the gym, the hype right now, what are y'all's kind of, uh, next step agendas for the company?
1: Yeah. So we, uh, so actually in, um, in my reboot of my company at the end of 2015, I just kind of saw like, you know, as uh, you know, with what we were doing, we needed not only to be and actually another kind of cross current in this whole media situation is Facebook and, mm-hmm. and um, the way all these uh, sites, media sites run is we run off of ad sales. Yeah. And um, but what's been interesting is that Facebook has now become the place for people to buy ad space. And so when you look at social club misfits or, uh, NF or, you know, whatever, a lot of these, uh, artists who are key bellwethers, like in our market, they're all buying their advertising on Facebook. So that, that, those ad dollars don't come to us like as, as kind of smaller, you know, genre niche outlets. And so I saw that coming and I was like, you know, what we need to do is be able to raise money from our constituents directly. And so what the best way for us to do that would be to go nonprofit. So instead of starting my own nonprofit, I went and talked to some various uh, out, you know, essentially I I was talking to different Christian radio stations um, and different Christian radio station networks. And uh, and then we decided to become part of a nonprofit in California called Urban Youth Workers Institute, which is fantastic and in fact, next week is our big annual conference of 1,500 urban leaders, pastors, youth pastors. Um, we have like you know 30 different artists performing from music to visual artists to DJs, dance troupes, um, the whole nine yards. It's just bananas. So that's happening at Biola University, and it's in mid-May every year. So come, come check it out. It's the Jamahai Festival and the and the Urban Youth Workers National Conference. Is that the same thing Track Stars has been promoting lately? Yeah, so I'm bringing okay. Track Stars out to the conference next week. Yeah, awesome. so uh I've invited you guys to come and so yeah, we're going to have a good time together. So we're we're going to we're going to live stream the outdoor stage, the Jam the Hype stage. So hopefully we'll get Sean and Ryan out there um MCing.
0: That's awesome, man. I know it's, it's so far away. I wish I could go to stuff like that. Uh, it's interesting because I'm on the Bible Belt, but I don't think we have that many huge conferences over here. <laughs>
1: like, yeah. Well, in, 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 uh, in the urban, Christian urban movement, the, really the main ones are Flavor Fest in October, which is in Tampa. There's Legacy Conference in Chicago in uh, July. And now Humble Beast has actually started their conference, which is called Canvas, and that's in August. And then there's our conference, which is the Urban Youth Worker Conference, and that is um, in L.A. in May. Right. So those are, those are like the main ones that happen around the country. And uh, so definitely, you know, if you're an artist and you don't know about those, like you're sleeping, <laughs> like they're the way you get some of your biggest exposure. I mean, like it's interesting, like at our conference, we have uh area directors for young life you know from new york city and southern california just those two markets alone have 2 million kids in them and um you know so we're meeting with the leaders and and things that are essentially uh, you know ministering to those kids and providing services and things to those kids and and so it's a great chance to kind of get known and and, and seen through through the eyes of different um, you know pastors and leaders who are boots on the ground.
0: Right. So how does, um, how does f- like the financial, is there any type of financial, um, to regain your financials that are put out for that? Because, you know, I know there's probably a lot of people who want to do some type of nonprofit, uh, thing like that, but usually the kids are invited to come for free at most of them, right?
1: Or yeah. Well, like a- we, we, uh, yeah, we, I mean, what's interesting about the urban youth worker conference is that, Uh, Yeah, we lose money on every conference registration. We just make it affordable. So I think it's like basically about $100 to come for two and a half days. And meals are provided. You know, uh, you can stay in the dorms for cheap. And uh, so it's really inexpensive to go. So the, the money that you pay as part of registration is just basically offsetting some of the cost. Right. To go, and so the rest of the money is all essentially backfilled through donors and private private donors and foundations and things like that.
0: They just reach out to the churches and other organizations in the community mm-hmm. to help,
1: exactly. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm.
0: That's, that's that's cool because you know, I think you know, because I know it costs lots of money to do things like that, and um, and we have a weekend event here at a Christian university, and they have to pay. You know to use the college grounds for things mm-hmm. and stay in the yeah, dorms exactly. and all that and then yeah. for a weekend for something like that's like 65 dollars including or no it's like 71 dollars for the weekend including a shirt yeah. and that's mm-hmm. not having any speaker like big speakers or bands or anything mm-hmm. or artists yeah so uh so having something like that for a hundred dollars that's i mean that's and, and on the west coast
1: yeah <laughs> like, right yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly it's it's one of the coolest events all year, you know, on the West coast. And so highly recommended. That's um, awesome. Yeah.
0: Well, Derek, I appreciate your time, man. Uh, you know, there's so many different areas I think you've been in that we could have several more conversations about, but, um, but I think that's a pretty good place to end it being that it's coming up right now. And so, uh, you know, just, I'd, I'd love to get just a, a last second. Like what's a bit of advice for anybody who's interesting in and in starting something, creating a company. Uh, I think a lot of people are looking at uh, building their own platform. Uh, what's just a, a little bit of wisdom that you've learned that you can share with anybody out there who want to just get something started?
1: Well, you're always going to get knocked. I mean, this is kind of a cliche, but it's so true. You're always going to get knocked down and you're going to get knocked down repeatedly. People are going to ignore you. People are going to think you're crazy. Uh, your own family's going to think you're crazy Um You know, you're spending your own money, which also people think is crazy. Um, And then, you know, just business-wise, you're going to be up against things you never dreamed of. And really the journey of the entrepreneur is to just keep going no matter what happens. Like you got to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and keep moving forward. And a lot of things like in our dreams of like, hey, you know, I want to be this. I want to have this big record label whatever – that may not always pan out but that's okay because it may turn into other things that uh may surprise you yeah and so uh so just keep going just be attentive to where god wants you and what your giftings are and uh go where he's given god has given you favor
0: gotcha yeah i've always heard uh turn rejection into redirection yeah right yeah. that's exactly it yeah yeah well, Derek, mm-hmm. again, I appreciate it. Uh, Derek, ho- hold, let me see if I got it. Is it ho- Hoyam. Hoyam. Ah, yeah. man, I was going to try to hold on to it to the That's end okay. of the conversation. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, well, I appreciate it. Everybody, make sure you check out jamthehype.com. Uh, uh, in general, I know there's been uh, a lot of great stuff coming out of the website. So, And I appreciate you and yourself. And what, where can everybody uh, check you out if they want to get in touch with you or just learn from your online presence.
1: Yeah, yeah, so uh rainonmeproductions.com as in the weather rain um, is kind of my is my company's site and uh, and then I also also have a personal website um derickhoyem.com that's d e r e k h o i e m.com. And so those are the main two places that I'm publishing kind of content and things. I'm starting to do um, YouTube videos and Facebook videos on kind of art artistry and artist management and helping creatives and going on the creative journey. So, uh, so follow me on Facebook, um, or rain on me productions on YouTube.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And, uh, looking forward to seeing, uh, how this conference turns out, hearing about it from the, the Trackstar staff and appreciate you linking up with them to do it. And just appreciate you everything you do for the, uh, for the community and the culture.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And you can check out the conference live stream next week on jam TV starting Thursday afternoon, uh, May 17th, May 17th through
0: 19th. All righty. Well, thanks again, man. And, uh, I hope everything goes out well for you.
1: Okay, man. Thanks for having me on Jason. All righty.
0: That was the interview with Mr. Derek Hoyle from jam the hype and save the city records. Uh, Derek, if you're listening, I appreciate you taking the time and doing the uh, interview, and I hope to have you back on the show soon, so we can dive in even deeper into a lot of these different areas. But uh, I hope you enjoy the interview. I'd love to know if it uh, gave you some some extra information you didn't have, if it was helpful in any way. Please let me know. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at JasonBordo1, and, uh, and make sure you go follow Derek and everything that he's doing, because you know, with the podcast, with the, the vlog going on. It's a lot of great content. I'm sure he's sharing with everybody. So make sure you do that. And I'm sure it'll be a blessing to you and it help you and whatever it is you have going on. Because a lot of different things and, and there's a lot of business practices that just cross over to any market. And so those are things that you really need to understand and grab a hold on to that way you're not left in the dust. And, um, and you know, you just don't have the basic principles down pat. So make sure you do that. And uh, again, I want to thank the patrons for the show. Uh, Mr. Aaron Simpkins at TrueStrengthApparel.com. Make sure you hit him up. And if you want to become a patron for the show, support the show financially, there's different price ranges. There's a dollar, $3, $5, $10. And then the $10 um, tier, that's my latest one I just put up there. But you'll get a free 30-minute uh, consulting uh, from me via Skype or phone call every month 30 minutes uh that's for the $10 a month um price range or tier there you go that's the word tier a $10 tier on patreon.com so make sure you go to businesswithborda.com and figure out how to sign up for that and also just real quick just want to shout out to the track stars podcasting network uh this is one of the first shows to be on that and this past week, they just announced on, uh, on the track star show and the clean ears podcast that uh clean ears joined the track stars podcasting network, try to insert a applaud there if I can figure out how to do that. So well, I want to welcome them to the, uh, to the podcasting network family, uh, it's a great show. Make sure you go check it out. The ladies over there do a phenomenal job. And I'm glad to have uh, some women, some women, more women out there doing some creative stuff for God. And uh, so make sure you support that and check it out. And uh, before I go, I do want to thank everybody again for tuning into the show this week. And real quick, I just wanted to give an update on um, on Crispy, one of the uh, tracks, uh, Trackstar staff members who handles our social media. Uh, at this point, he's had like 11 surgeries. Uh, they're working on his eyes, really trying to get them going. So he'll be able to see uh, to the best of his ability. God's been working miracles in everything in his life. And so all the prayers out there, we appreciate anybody out, anybody out there who's praying. Anybody who has donated, uh, it's up to like 82000 now. now. Uh, thank Jesus for that because he doesn't have health insurance. And we're trying to help him to be able to cover those costs with at least $100,000. At least that. Because it's going to be way more than that. But, you know try to get him through the best that we can as the body and so for anybody out there who was able to help go over to trackstars Twitter page at track stars and look at their moments pinned to the top of their page and you'll see the goFundMe attached there on the um, on that moments tag so anyway I think that's it this week uh, I do appreciate you again for listening and I came up with a tag a little bit of help from Aaron Simpkins but I think I want to know what your thoughts are, but this is going to be a a new tag for the end of the show. Ready for it? Ready? All right, here it is. Remember, the more you learn, the more you know, and the more you know, the more you grow. Thanks and God bless.